Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, we love to talk about baby Jesus lying in a manger surrounded by shepherds and wise men who are giving him gifts. Well, it's certainly a true story. Uh, It's not the whole story. Today, I want to share with you the untold story of two kings, divinity and a dictator. In Matthew chapter 2, where we get Matthew's account of the Christmas story, it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. I just want to spend uh, a few minutes today talking about the context of that and what Matthew is setting up. Herod was not the true king of Israel. He was appointed by the Roman Caesar. He was placed in residence by the Roman Empire. Uh, He's known historically, if you wanted to search for him and learn about him, you would search Herod the Great, which is a nickname he gave himself. And uh, let me just give you some background or trivia on King Herod. There's actually six different Herods in the Bible, which can be confusing as you read through, like, man, how long did this guy live, or what is going on here? But they're all related to one another. Interestingly enough, they're all evil, but the the Herod in Matthew chapter 2, Herod the Great, is the worst of them all. He was born into wealth, and at age 25, the Roman Senate uh, appointed him the governor of Galilee, which was a very high position that he manipulated to get, and they gave him the title, the King of the Jews, which he was not Jewish, he was not a Jew, Rome had taken over Israel, had put this person in power. Ironic that he's called King of the Jews because another king would come from the lineage of David, who was called King of the Jews. Herod held on to his power for 40 years. Uh, through terror, through tyranny, uh, through backstabbing, manipulating the Roman government, uh, lording his power over the people in uh, Galilee. Herod was the embodiment of a dictator. He had all the classic characteristics. Uh, In fact, four words, I don't know what you might want to write down just kind of in this trivia about Herod, but uh, maybe these four words kind of guiding thing is he had a preoccupation with power. You might write down that word. He was addicted to power. He thirsted for it. Uh, he loved it. He lived off of power. Uh, another word you might write down is he had a preoccupation with possessions. He could not get enough. He built seven palaces, seven theaters, even stadiums, um, Some of this was kind of beneficial to Israel because he really wanted to succeed economically. So he would do things for the uh, economy to flourish. Ended up being very hard on the people. So power, possessions. Another word you might write down if you're a note taker is he had a preoccupation with prestige. Prestige. He wanted others to look up to him. He had 10 marriages. Uh, They were all prestige oriented. They were politically motivated. He married the daughter of his leading rival just for the prestige and the power. Later, he killed her and his rival's family, which brings in a fourth word or characteristic, and that is paranoia. He was a paranoid person, and he would step on anyone, 
because he believed that they would do the same. Like a paranoid person believes everyone else feels the same way and is looking at life the same way. A paranoid person thinks everybody else is paranoid and is thinking about them all the time. And so Herod had a cupbearer to taste everything and eat everything, drink everything before him. He'd built several fortresses, all of them uh, heavily provisioned and fortified and uh, that you can see to, to, uh, to this day. Masada is one of the well-known fortresses that he built. And he had many spies. So anyone who would try to plot against him, uh, he would spy out and find and have them executed. I know we're really drilling down on him today, but we're going somewhere with this. Is right after he took the throne, uh, he'd taken this position. He had 70 of the most influential religious leaders in Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin, he had 70 of them put to death. Uh, when his brother-in-law was 16 years old, coming to age, wanting to make a name for himself, Herod had him drowned. Herod trusted no one, not even his wives. He had three of his own sons executed. He feared they, they were plotting against him. He had a brother-in-law and his brother-in-law's wife and their sons killed. After hearing of that last incident, Caesar Augustus is on record commenting, I think it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. And he ruled for over 40 years. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's how Matthew's account of the Christmas story begins, right? Untold, right? He ruled for over 40 years as until he clashed with another king, and this king also had the title King of the Jews. So one day... Uh, magi come from the east asking a question that shook Herod to his core. They come in and about that time some wise men come from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and they come into town under the rule of King Herod. This is how bold these guys are. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Like they're not messing around are they? They said, uh, there's only one way they could have known this, by the way, is they had, they had to be studying and had to be students of the Bible, of Scripture, the Old Testament at that time, which much of the world would have known and would have had. And so wherever they lived, and we don't know where that was, some people speculate Persia or India or as far as China, uh, but they're studying the prophecies that were there for thousands of years where God has said, I'm going to send a Savior to earth. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send the Christ. Someone who's going to uh, be a sacrifice once and for all for the payment for sin. So Jesus is the newborn king of the Jews. And this statement uh, triggers Herod's paranoia. His greatest fear. And they say, we saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Again, bold. So for thousands of years, they follow the start. For thousands of years, um, people have followed the stars and the skies to chart their path. So there's nothing necessarily unusual about this, but there's obviously something noteworthy about it too. In verse 3, it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting with the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. 
And so he's finding out on his own. He's like, well, what are they reading? What are they looking at? What are they studying uh, that's giving them this word and this news? And so he's deeply, it's triggered something, deeply disturbed. In the Greek, that is, he is freaking out. He's throwing a temper tantrum. He's scared and furious. So he gets together the religious leaders, asks them, what's going on? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. So Herod winces, as you can probably imagine, when he hears the word that a ruler is coming who will be born. And he wonders, so maybe these strangers, this, these magi are onto something. And this boy, wherever he is, is meant to be the king. Verse 7, then Herod called for a private meeting, so it's a secret meeting with the wise men who have come into town. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And this is the deception of Herod. He says, hey, we're on the same team here. You can go scout it out, find the boy, come back, tell me. We'll all worship him together. Uh, But as we know, that was never part of his plan. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now watch this with me. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they found the boy, when they found Jesus, they bowed to worship him. They didn't worship Mary. They worshipped him. Notice they, they entered the house. So uh, this is, Jesus is not in the stable anymore. I know our entire lives, every nativity you've seen, every manger scene you've seen, it's got Jesus the Mary, uh, Jesus and Mary, and Joseph, and cows, and sheep, and a donkey, and it's got the shepherd and the wise men there. To get. The shepherds and the wise men never met uh, because the wise men didn't come until much later. They weren't at the stable, or they didn't see Jesus in a manger. The trip across the desert, wherever they came from, had taken several months. The star led them to the house they were in, so the word for child here is the word toddler, actually. And by the time the wise men get there, Joseph has moved them into a house. They're no longer in the temporary situation that they were in during the census. So keep your manger scenes, everybody. There's nothing wrong with it. They all get there because of Christmas, but there's a different dynamic here, and they give these gifts to this child. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they return to their own country. They go back a different way by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And while Herod was powerful, all the powers and influence of heaven are protecting this Christ child. 
And after the wise men worship Jesus, God warns them in a dream, don't go back to Herod and tell him anything. Just go back where you came from a different way. Then watch this. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Last year at Christmas time, we talked about the faithfulness and the obedience of Joseph. And here's just another example of Joseph gets word in the middle of the night, get up, leave your house, leave your home, and go to Egypt. And, and that, I mean, that night he does it. God tells him to do something and he just follows it. He, oh, he obeys. God provided a way for their needs to be met. But we see what happens with Herod in verse 16. Or that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. And then what happens next is really hard to wrap our minds around, especially at Christmas. But it says Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. And this act gave him a nickname that also stuck with him, and that is the Butcher of Bethlehem. And I don't think any of us can begin to imagine the grief that these families must have felt and the grief that came on this whole region under Herod's rule. And this is not part of the Christmas story, of course, that we would write songs about or tell our kids about, but it's certainly the battle of good and evil raging. It's divinity and a dictator at odds. And I think if you're like me, you kind of resonate with the wise men here. And I don't say that to say, oh, that sounds funny, like, oh, I'm a wise man, you know, or we resonate with wisdom. But what I mean when I say that is, they have the scriptures, they know the prophecy, they know the times, they know the signs, and they know God is among them. And they travel to worship him. And they end up getting drafted into the midst of this power struggle and this battle of two kingdoms clashing together. And they're, they're likely not Jewish. Uh, they don't live in the region. They don't know all the dynamics of what's going on. They, they don't know all of that. They don't know how to solve all of that. It's, I can't do anything about that. All I know is that God is here and I've got to go worship him and I've got to go give to him and I've got to go honor him and acknowledge him. And I don't know if you just in a small way kind of resonate with that in this season of Man, I don't know how to solve all this. I don't know about this and what's going on here and all around the world or, or even in your own situation. But what I do know is that God is, is with me and I want to honor him and I want to do the right thing and I want to follow him and I want to respond and I want to show my love for him. And so this weekend, I want to do two things. As we look at the wise men, I want to ask two questions. First, I want to ask, what made the wise men wise? How is it, 
I mean, all around the world, all those people. I mean, all the people even in Jerusalem. But it's these guys who come from a distant land. What made them know that and understand that? And then what's the significance behind the gifts that they give? It's important for us to understand what, the, what made the wise men wise. Because uh, what made them wise is some specific things that they did. And we are going to need to do those same things this Christmas, and we're going to need to do those same things in 2023 if we want to be wise, if we want to follow God. And the first is, I would submit that they were seekers of the truth. Wise people seek the truth. They're not happy with guesses. They're not happy with speculation. They're not happy with just, uh, well, I wonder, and let's talk about that. No, they want to know what's the truth about life? What's the truth about me? What's the truth about the past? What's the truth about the future? Wise women and wise men seek the truth. In verse 2 it says, where's the newborn king of the Jews? They were seeking Jesus. Really, when it comes to truth, there there are two kinds of, of camps you could fall in. There are speculators and there are seekers. And speculators guess about the truth, they conjecture, they wonder, they make assumptions. And I've, I've been a, a speculator. In fact, I remember a very specific season in my life, just filled with speculation and uh, had made friends with a lot of people who were kind of in the speculation phase. And what I learned through that is speculators love to talk about God and discuss. But what ends up happening is they go round and round and round and never make a decision. And what I learned in that season of my life is it's been so long and I realize we've never made up our minds on any of this. (laughs) Like no one ever comes to a conclusion. (laughs) No one decides anything. Because once you make a decision of well, this is what God is like, and this is who God is, and this is what Jesus did. Then you have to live like it. But speculators just want to keep talking about it, keep wondering about it. Seekers, genuine seekers, on the other hand, which God loves seekers. It's when you take the time to find the truth. Genuine seekers ask ask questions. They have doubts. They investigate their doubts. Uh, They put aside preconceptions. God loves seekers. We love seekers. Why? Because the Bible says, if you seek him, you'll find him. God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And if you are genuinely serious about wrestling with your questions and genuinely serious about seeking God, you can't miss him. And these wise men were wise because they sought the truth. More than that, number two, they were willing to go to any length to find it. These guys are willing to go to any length to find the truth. Some wise men from eastern lands. And so these guys have traveled thousands of miles at great expense. It cost them a lot of money. Um, We don't know how many there were. Uh, Lots of people say three. That's because there's three gifts. Um, Either way, even if it was just three guys, they had attendance with them. This was a long mission. Many people took a long time, hard to fund. Could have been half a dozen magi, could have been a dozen, uh, could have been many people, we don't know. But what's ironic to me is that all the spiritual activity in the world, the focal point 
is Jerusalem and no one in Jerusalem seeking Jesus. In fact, it's disturbed Jerusalem that there's a newborn king of the Jews. And it's the guys on the outside who come to Christmas. I mean, the people who, who know what's up, there's only a handful of people. You've got Simeon the priest, and you've got John the Baptist's parents, and you've got Joseph and Mary, and there's just a handful of people in the area that know what's going on and, and, and realize what's happening. And you can have Jesus right in your midst and right in front of you and completely miss him. And that's what's going on here. You contrast the wise men who are making a, a many months trip across the desert because they're serious about seeking God. That's wise. And number three, if you're taking notes, they didn't stop until they came to Jesus. And if you're wise, you won't stop until you get, <laughs> until you get to the bottom of it. Verse 11 says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Another translation of that verse it stopped me in my tracks. It says, they finally came to where Jesus was. And I just thought, if I come to that place in my life, where I finally come to where Jesus is, have you come to that place in your life where you kept seeking, you kept finding, you came to the place where Jesus was? Because it's a fatal mistake to, to quit that journey too soon before you meet Jesus. And here's what happens for many of us, and uh, maybe you resonate with this. Maybe this happened to you, or maybe you're seeing this happen, that uh, a kind of a, a life story for so many is that when you're growing up, about the last years of high school, or maybe those young adult years, uh, you start asking the major questions of life. Why am I here? Who am I? Uh, does my life have any meaning? Is it significant? What is my past and what is my future going to be? And in those years, you desire independence from your parents and you say, well, I'm going to find my own life and uh, own church and own pathway. And you start asking, what am I going to be for? What am I going to be against? What's my life going to be about? What do I love? What do I hate? What's my life going to be? And what happens is you start asking those valuable questions as a young adult but then life gets really busy, doesn't it? And you've got to pay insurance. <laughs> and you've got to pay bills. And you're dating. And uh, you're going to school. Maybe getting a degree or getting a job. Getting married. Having kids. And all of a sudden, those primary questions of life, of what am I going to seek? What am I going to search? Who am I going to be? You stop on that journey halfway. And you give up having concrete answers on those solid questions. And a lot of people start off in life getting independence uh, from their leaders, from their parents, wondering who is God, what's the purpose of my life, and then somehow they wander off busy and distracted and they stop that journey before they get to the end. The wise men are seekers of the truth. And they'll go to any length to know the truth about God, the truth about me, the truth about my life. And they're willing to keep on going, even across the desert. And you may be in a desert right now. But will you continue on till you come to the place where Jesus is? What motivated them? They came, number four, for the right reason. 
They came on the search for truth, on the search for Jesus. They came for the right reason. We have come to worship him, they said. Why were they looking for Jesus? Uh, They were looking to show honor. They were looking to show gratitude. They were looking to worship him. They didn't want to use Jesus. They wanted to love him. They didn't want to use Jesus. They wanted to worship him. They came for the right reason. And number five, they gave him the best that they had. They came on search uh, for the truth and they didn't give their leftovers. They didn't give some worthless item. Uh, They didn't just give lip service. Um, They put serious thought into their gifts. And each of the three gifts the wise men give has significant meaning and symbolism. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, If you could just take a Ryland rabbit trail with me for a second, pause for something humorous. Uh, Something I think is funny is when things are misheard. It really makes me laugh in my house where I say one thing and and Lauren heard a different thing. Uh, It's just in life. It started out when I was a kid and 94.9, the oldies station, had a commercial Kansas City television of uh, people who are singing the wrong lyrics to the oldies. And one of them was, he's got a chicken to ride, and it's in my hair. And that just made me laugh so hard. It makes a few of you laugh. Uh, and it, I just love when things are mis, misheard, especially in Christmas. Uh, I read in a Reader's Digest recently a Christmas thing that uh, these kids were at a play, and they're singing Christmas songs. They're singing Hark the Herald Angel Sings. And a little boy just gets so bold in the thing. And instead of singing God and sinners reconciled, he belts out, God and sinners dressed in style. And uh, I, just lo- I just love that kind of thing. So there's this boy who, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, he thought the magi were maggots. And he says, the maggots brought gold, Frankenstein, and Smurfs. And now every time I read that, I think of that, and I'm sorry to do that to you, but what's the significance behind the whole gold, Frankenstein, and Smurfs is gold is a gift for a king. It's a precious metal. And in all of antiquity, if you were to go honor a king, you would bring some gold, a tribute of gold. It was the most precious metal. They didn't know about platinum or what have you, and It was a tribute to say, I'm honoring you as the king. I know you as king. You are my king. And they're saying that this child is the king. Then they bring frankincense. And frankincense is the incense that was used in the temple for worship to God. So they're saying gold for the king of kings, frankincense for the priest of priests. That you're not only king, you are are God. And this child Jesus is going to be the great mediator between us and God and then the third gift is the most unusual it's a strange baby gift any woman who got this at a baby shower would be shocked because myrrh was the spice that was used to embalm dead bodies it's the burial spice and when a person had died they would put myrrh the spice on the body and then wrap them in linen put them in the grave or the tomb and so it's this gift of symbol of bitterness and suffering. It's also a gift of salvation and purpose that they're saying, we realize this is the Savior who came. 
Jesus didn't come to, to live a long life and die of old age. He came to suffer. He came to die in our place. He came to be a final payment so that we can live a new life, so that we can be forgiven. Even before Jesus preached a sermon or had spoken before people, the wise men knew why he was there. And it was to defeat death, defeat the grave. So, (laughs) there's the information and I kind of, I I had it there, like left it at that uh, this week. Uh, But then I realized, you know, that's not, this isn't a sermon yet. Because we could just look at that much, read the text, see the significance of the gifts, significance of Jesus, the divinity, Herod, the dictator. Um, But that wouldn't be a sermon. Maybe inspirational, you might say, oh yeah, there's some stuff in there I forgot, or I've never heard that before. But I just wondered, well, what what would make this a sermon? Not just inspiration, not just trivia, not just information, not just the truth about Christmas. And what makes it a sermon is when we say, well, what's the real, the real question is, what should I give? Like, what do I do about this? And so this Christmas, I'm going to ask you to bring two things uh, to Jesus this Christmas. The first is, would you be willing to give to Jesus, to give him your heart? And you might say, oh, that sounds so nice. Give him my heart. Like, yeah, I can do that. I'll give him my heart. I've done that before. Uh, but the, the reason I chose this one is the heart is mentioned almost 1,000 times in Scripture. In essence, this is what it says. The heart is the a deepest spiritual part of us. It's where our emotions and our desires dwell. There's nothing more significant that you could give God than your heart. Anything else would be seconds. It's the most significant thing you have. What is your heart? It's what you love. It's what you value. It's your value system. It's what you care about. The heart is what you treasure. Jesus says where you put your treasure, that's where you're going to want to be. That's where your heart is wrapped up in. God says we may not even understand our own hearts but that he knows the secrets of the heart and based on his knowledge of the heart, he's going to judge. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, give every man according to his ways that flow from his heart. Jesus, when he pointed out the fallen condition of people, he said it it comes from the heart. He said, you all think it's external all around you. He says, no, it's flowing from within. He says, from within, out of Mankind's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. says all these things come from inside and make us unclean. And it's just a reminder that our biggest problem right now is not external, it's internal. That we have a heart problem. And in order for a person to be saved, the heart must be changed. And it only happens, God says, and God does it in response to faith. In Romans 10, it says, with our heart, one believes. And in grace, God can create a new heart within us. He revives our heart. A heart can be hardened. A heart can be softened, Scripture tells us. A heart can be broken. God promises to revive our hearts, to heal our hearts. And God's work of creating a new heart within us involves testing our hearts, filling our hearts with new ideas, new wisdom, new desires. It's the core of our being. 
The Bible puts such a high emphasis on the heart that when you've been given a new heart, guard it. Keep your hearts pure. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. So in Philippians, we put our trust in Christ. We focus on the right things. God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, Solomon in his wisdom said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So will you come to a place this Christmas where you bring him your heart again? All of those things. That you say, God, what am I holding back from you? Show me, and I will bring it to you. I will give it to you. The second thing I'm asking you, if you'd be willing to bring to Jesus this Christmas, is to bring others to him. That's the second thing you can give that he doesn't have. And he wants people, he wants his children in his family who choose to love him and trust him. It's the reason we celebrate Christmas. In John 3.16, you know the verse, but would you read this out loud with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You will never outgive God because he will give you eternal life. And this is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is God shouting to the earth, I love you, I care about you, I will make a way for you where there is no way. And I want you to bring others to Jesus. Do you believe this, that whoever believes in him, whoever, like when you go to stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You can use his word and say, well, you told me that whoever believes in you shall not perish but have eternal life. And I'm a whoever and I believed what you had to say and I took you at your word. But let me ask, who's the whoever in your life that needs to believe, that needs to know? And will you be a light to them? Who are you going to be a star to this Christmas? Who are you going to help guide to Jesus and be one of the stars, be one of the lights in their life that points them to Christ? Who are you going to be bold to? Inside your worship guide this weekend, uh, also at the door on the info table, uh, we have the hometown Christmas at Rockbrook invites. And I, I just ask you, who will you invite this Christmas? Who will you uh, be a witness to and uh, who can you just simply bring with you to a, a Christmas Eve service? I'm not asking you to convince them of anything, just to be a witness, just to give them an invite, to, ha to hand an invite to your friends and neighbors. Be a star and the gift that you can bring Jesus this Christmas is being a light to somebody else. Who are you going to be bold with to say, I believe it. Jesus came, God came. He died in my place for my sins. He rose. He ascended to heaven. So this month, I challenge you. Bring your heart and bring someone else. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for these dear, dear people that I love. I thank you for this room of people who love you and are continuing to seek you. God, I thank you that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to forgive us, to make a way for us, to, to go into the most harrowing of situations and circumstances 
and to find victory for us. And God, we just humbly submit our hearts and our lives to you again. God, I pray that you would use us to be stars and lights uh, for others. God, we thank you for the people, the family, uh, those in our lives who've been stars for us, who helped show us the way to you. God, I ask you to uh, bless each and every person in this room this Christmas. Bless their health in uh, a season where so many people are struggling. I ask you to bless their safety uh, in all their endeavors and running around and shopping and everything else. And may we, in the middle of all this rush and all the activities, make room for you in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.